Praise God. Well, last week on Resurrection Sunday, or what some call Easter Sunday, I prefer the term Resurrection Sunday, uh, we uh, began a series that we're going to continue talking about today, and you're going to need your Bibles today. So if you did not bring a Bible, we want to help you out. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. You, anybody that, yeah, I see one over there that doesn't have one. Anybody else not have a Bible? Because you're going to need it today. Okay, I think you're all being taken care of. Good. The way that we're going to do this, we're going to do as we usually do and read a master text, but then we're going to continue to go all the way through the book of, or the, the, the chapter of Romans 6. We're going to go through that line by line today. Uh, so, which is a very different way for me to preach. I don't usually preach line by line through an entire chapter. Um, I typically preach concepts. Now, I, I like what they call expository teaching, where you go line by line, and I think that's a very good way to preach. Um, just by the way, once in a while I'll run across someone who seems to believe that that's the superior and only way to preach, line by line, uh, through entire chapters of the Bible. But I want to let you know that, that Jesus didn't teach line by line. Did you know that? He didn't open up the scroll of Isaiah and preach line by line. He preached concepts. Okay, and that's the way that I preach. I preach concepts, but I'm not against line by line expository teaching. I like that too. So I'm going to do some of that today. So you'll need to have your Bibles in front of you. We're going to look at the entire chapter of Romans 6. But let's go ahead and read the master text first. Where did I put my... Are my glasses over there? Yeah, let me grab those. If, you, if you're at Romans 6... Thank you, babe. She's even wiping them off for me. Thank you, babe. <laughs> she just knows how messy I am. And... All right, stand with me, if you will. We're going to read. Yes, yeah, she does take great care of me. We're going to read the first uh, seven verses of Romans chapter 6 as our, as our master text. Here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Other versions say raised to the newness of life. I like that too. Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, in reading a passage like that, there may be some people who would ask a very legitimate question. And that's, well, if that's true, Pastor Andy, why don't I feel like I'm free from sin? Well, the reason I have that, that ram pictured for you there, rearing up, is because a lot of people, even when they come to Christ, they feel like they still have this sin nature that's like a wild ram. You know, it's, just, it's very much alive, very much uh, uh, energetic in their lives. And so they may ask the legitimate question, okay, I'm saved, but 
uh, I made the commitment to serve the Lord, but why don't I feel free from sin? Well, it's because that, that sin nature prior was unopposed, and now you have to learn to take the new nature that's in you, which, look at the screen, opposes the sin nature, and learn how to operate in the spirit rather than in the flesh, because now you have a new nature. See, before, your sin nature was absolutely unopposed, but now it's opposed by a new nature, the spirit of Christ living in you. So let's read from Galatians 5.17. I'm going to read this out of the Berean literal Bible, and it, it explains this in a bit more detail. It says, For the flesh desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another in order that you should not do those things you might wish. Now you can take that last line two ways actually, uh, that you don't do those things that you might wish. Well, you could take that in the positive or the negative. So if you have this new nature that wants to please God, sometimes your sin nature opposes that and prevents you from doing what you wanna do. But the opposite is also true. See, you have this new nature living within you now so that that old sin nature that wants to dominate you, you no longer do what the sin nature wants you to do because you, now you have a new nature. Isn't that good news? Praise God. Now, I, I want to just give you a really simple concept here and show you how to have that new nature dominate the old because they, you do have still an old sin nature that's still there but now you have this new nature, the Spirit of God living in you that opposes that old one. So which one's going to win? Well, write this down. The one that you feed, the one that you feed will dominate because that's the one that's going to be stronger. Okay? The one that you feed will dominate. We're going to get into that as the teaching progresses. See, if you just feed on the same old trash that you always fed on prior to coming to Christ, your old sin nature is going to dominate you. But if you change what your heart, mind dwells upon, then your new nature is going to dominate. Starve the old one and feed the good one, right? Starve the old man and feed the, the new nature. That's how it works. All right, so on that note then... As we continue reading through Romans chapter 6, and these next, uh, next few verses, verses 8 through 14 is what we're going to read next, the concept here is count yourself dead to sin. So let's read this together, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will, we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, 
because you are not under law, that means the Old Testament law, but under grace. All right. So let me give you a few points about that right there. So first of all, verse 11 says to count yourself dead. What's that mean? It means unresponsive. Count yourself unresponsive to sin, but alive to God. Unresponsive to sin, but responsive to God. In other words, when God says jump, you say, how high? Yeah? He says run, you say how far and how fast, right? Anything God says, you are to be responsive to what God says. When you see something in the word of God, you don't try to rationalize it away as to why you don't have to obey that. You're you're like, okay, God, how can I apply this to my life? And you seek to apply it immediately and passionately. Count yourselves unresponsive to sin. So in other words, when you get tempted by something, you can just say, no, I'm dead to that. I'm unresponsive to that. And you may have to actually tell yourself that a few times until, you know, your new spirit gets the hang of it, right? Until your body gets the hang of it. No, I'm unresponsive to that. Praise the Lord. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. You know, let me give you, let me give you uh, for instance. I've heard these stories about people getting on Facebook and then getting reconnected with this old flame from high school, yet they're married, And they're talking to someone on Facebook, this old flame that talks to them so nice and talks to them and flatters them. You know, first of all, you ought not be having those kind of conversations at all. But if somebody reaches out to you, that's an old flame from way back when, you know what you ought to tell yourself? No, I'm dead to that. I'm unresponsive to that. Even if your marriage isn't quite what you want it to be right now, that's exactly when Satan will try to sneak in with someone to try to disrupt and blow up the whole thing. And you say, no, I'm unresponsive to that. I'm dead to that, okay? But I'm alive to God, I'm responsive to God. All right, the next one, verse 12, do not let sin, don't allow it, is what that means. Don't allow sin to reign in your mortal body. That means come into agreement, don't come into agreement with sin. Don't come into agreement with it. When sin presents its, itself, when temptation raises its ugly head, you don't come into agreement with that. You know, I, I think of Joseph when he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. Right? He, he didn't sit down on the bed next to Miss Potiphar and say, now, Miss Potiphar, let's talk about this. No, he ran. He ran because he probably felt in his flesh a temptation. He's probably very beautiful and probably very provocatively dressed. So he probably felt a a, a pull in his flesh in that direction. So rather than to sit there and entertain that thing, he ran the other direction. To give no opportunity to the flesh. I just quoted the Bible. You give no opportunity to the flesh. So you don't come into agreement with sin. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master because now you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. Now, on that note, I'm going to cross-reference here. I'm going to go away from Romans 6 for a second and cross-reference Titus chapter 2. That sin is no longer our master because now we're not under law but under grace. Well, how is it that grace causes us to no longer be under the mastery of sin. I'm going to show you. 
This is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God, okay, let me, let me stop before we read this. Uh, uh, one definition of grace, which is a true definition of grace, is that you don't get what your sins deserve. That's one. But you do get the grace and the favor and the mercy that you don't deserve. Does that make sense? So that's, that's one part of grace. That's one side of grace. And that seems like the modern church today, that's all of grace that they know. But there's another side of grace represented here in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. What does? Grace does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to, uh, for us to redeem us, if you were at, in the, the teaching last week, that word redeem is the word lutru. And the word lutru, if you remember, is a word that means to set a captive or a slave free by the payment of a ransom. That's what lutru means. That, that's the Greek word right there that was translated into the English word redeem. That's what that means, to set a captive or a slave free by the payment of a ransom. That's what Jesus did for us. Okay, so who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, are his very own, eager to do what is good. The good deeds don't save you, but if you really are saved, the grace should teach you how to say no to worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, godly life in this present age and to do good works. To help people, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what grace does. It teaches us to do these things. Grace is an empowerer, in other words. Think of it that way. Grace, ladies and gentlemen, is an empowerer. Praise God. All right. So on that note then, uh, let's get back to our text in Romans chapter 6. And the point that I want to emphasize as we read this last section of Romans chapter 6 is that you now have a choice whether you sin or not. And I'm, I'm going to elaborate on this as we read. So let's begin in verse 15. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Praise God. Amen. I put this in human terms, Paul writes, because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. And we'll go ahead and read to the end of the chapter, verse 23. When you were slaves to sin, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at, the time, at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? 
Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap will lead to, everybody say it with me, holiness. Holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages or results of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I want to emphasize verse 19 for just a moment. Again, it says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to escalating wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. All right, so what I really want to emphasize from that portion of our reading is this. Satan cannot make you sin anymore. You hear some people say, well, the devil made me do it. If you're in Christ, that's no longer true. When you sin, it's because you wanted to. You came into agreement with Satan. You came into agreement with sin. That's the only reason. Now you have a choice, you see. See, Satan's weapons, now that you're in Christ, his only weapons against you, listen to me very closely, his only weapons against you are deception, He lies. That's his native language, is lying, is deception and temptation. Deception and temptation. I'm going to give you an illustration of this. So I need my two uh, volunteers to come up. Drew and Jack, would you come up for a second? I'm going to to use Drew and Jack as, as an example of this. So... I needed at least one person that I could slap around a little bit, and Drew's the guy I'm going I'm to slap around. He's used to that, though. Um, but actually, he can give it out as much as he can take it. I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, he's got a dog. When I, when I start wrestling with him and roughing him up a little bit, he's got a dog that comes to his rescue and wants to take my hand off. And then I'm, I'm always very confused by the fact that when Drew starts to rough me up, the dog doesn't protect me. It helps him. So, so okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, Drew, you're going to be the Christian. I'm going to play the devil. And Jack, you're going to come over here on the other side, and you're going to be Jesus, okay? So before Jesus, before Jesus, now, now don't put your hand on him yet, because, I, because I'm going to separate him from you, because right, right now, um, you're going to be someone who's apart from Christ. You're, you're, you're not walking with Christ yet. You're not, just let's pretend he's not saved yet. Okay? So he's separated from Jesus. And I've got, I'm, I'm Satan. I've got a hold on him. I can manipulate him any way, any, way, any way I want to. I can beat up on him. I can slap him upside the head. And, 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 he, and it's just, that's normal for him to get slapped around by life. Okay? Slapped around by Satan. And I manipulate him anywhere I want him to go, right? I make him do whatever I want, because he's my slave. He's a slave of sin, right? He's very, very firmly in my grasp. Now, Jesus, or Jack, I want you to come over here and just come behind him. And I want you to break that bond. Now, don't break my arm, Jack. I know you're strong. I want you to break that bond between uh, me and him and, and break my grip on him. All right. So, so Jesus has just set him free, okay? So, all right, yeah, so now he's, 
now he's in the grip of Jesus now. And uh, me as Satan, I've lost my grip on him. So Jack, stand on the, on, on, on right in between us here. See, now, if I want to get to, yeah, exactly. If I want to get to this, this Christian young man, I got to get through Jesus. And, and I, you know, I, Jesus won't let me do that. Okay? Right? Um, so now the only choice that I have as Satan to try to get to Drew is stand over here and entice him and try to tempt him and try to get him <laughs> yeah, and try to get him to move over here and get an agreement with me. Is this making sense? That's the only choice I have now. It's just temptation and deception. I can even come over here and try to whisper like little lies in his ears, but I can't actually get to him like I once did because my grip over him is broken now. So the only choice I have is Satan and his little minions, demons, is try to lie to Drew and try to come over here and, put, and present something before him that looks really good and say, come over here, doesn't this look good? Come and take the bait. Now Drew has a choice now. He can stay right where he is in the grip of Jesus, or if he wants to, he can come over here and get an agreement with me and take the bait of the temptation. Is this making sense? Okay, thank you guys. You did a great job. Appreciate you. That's the only way it can work. That's the only way it can work. Because you are not under the control of sin and Satan any longer. He's lost his grip over you if you're in Christ. The only way it works is if you listen to his suggestions and take his bait. That's the only way it works. You have to come into agreement with Satan in order for him to dominate you where sin is concerned. He's got to have your cooperation. That's the only way it works. And it works very, very well for a lot of people. And we're going to get into why here as we proceed. So I want to talk to you about some practical ways to live in holiness. Again, the name of our series that we started on Resurrection Sunday is in the likeness of his resurrection. And that was our master text in the first few verses of Romans chapter 6, is that we are now living in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. So the first practical way to live in holiness is to understand, and this, this is a revelation to some people. I mean, to me, this is like Christianity 101. I mean, ABC school Christianity, but a lot of people this is a revelation to, that understand that holiness is not a suggestion, it's a command. Amen. Holiness is a command. Let me give you a couple examples of that from the scriptures. First uh, Peter 1, verses 14 through 16 says this, As obedient children, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in some of the things that you do. No, sorry, I misquoted that, didn't I? In all that you do. In all that you do. For it is written, and now he's quoting the Old Testament here, be holy because I am holy, God says. And in other words, God says, okay, now that you've come out of that old life, now that I've set you free from your old life, now I want you to act like me. 
And that's a revelation to a lot of people. Is like, what, what? Act like God? Yeah. He's your daddy. Don't we want to emulate our daddies? Be holy, for I am holy. Also, the second concept that I want to talk to you about, a, a practical ways to live in holiness, is simply to feed on God's word. Feed on God's word. Again, couple of other passages along these lines. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's that mean? You read, and I, I, I heard someone describe it this way this week, you eat God's word. You don't just read it, you feed on it, you eat it, you eat the word of God, if, if I could say it that way. You, you gorge yourself on God's word, and that starts to build you up spiritually. Uh, look, folks, I believe that there's many different ways that God um, builds up the church and, and builds up his people. Um, the most transformative thing that you'll ever do is to eat God's word. I am unrecognizable today compared to the man that I was 30 years ago. I don't just mean appearance-wise. I'm talking about my character. Unrecognizable. If somebody came to me and knew me back then, hey, Andy, I can remember when you did, and I'm like, that person's dead. That person's dead. I was a, that was, person was buried, dead and gone, and I'm a new creature in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And the thing that's done it, now I've had experiences and encounters with the Lord and with prophets and people speaking words of knowledge over me and things of that nature, and all those things are wonderful, and I'm in agreement, and, and I think those things are important because God ministers to people in many different ways ways, but he gave us his word as the primary tool, the primary tool for your transformation. This is the, there's lots of different tools that God provides, but this is the primary one. And the fact that I have fed on the word of God like I have over the last 30 years has literally transformed my life like nothing else. Now, it's been a process, okay, let me tell you, it's been a process, because I started out reading the Word of God, and, and, and look, can I just get super practical and honest with you for a moment? I would get up way earlier than my body wanted to get up, and way earlier than I had to get up in order to get my day started for business, but I got up early and sought Him. And my body, my flesh, didn't want to do that a lot of times. And I would open up the Bible, I'd still be bleary-eyed, I'd start reading, and my emotions weren't in it a lot of times. But I, I disciplined myself to continue to feed on the Word of God, and I didn't feel necessarily different that first day, or that first week, or that first month that I started doing. But it's a cumulative. It's a cumulative. Let, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, when I was 19 years old, um, just shortly after I graduated from high school, there was a buddy of mine in high school who was really built. I mean, he was muscular and, and, and athletic, and, and, and he and I were friends, and he said, you know, hey, if you want to, come to the gym with me, and, and I'll train you. 
And I'm like, cool, because you know, I was real skinny at the time, and I'm like, I want to look like him. So he got me started weight training, and man, this guy was brutal on me. And, and for 90 days, we were in the gym together, like an hour, hour and a half at a time, and he was like insane. And it hurt, and I hated every minute of it. And I, for 90 days, I, there was I, absolutely no evidence that all this pain was doing anything for me. For 90 days, no changes at all. But then, after 90 days, I looked in the mirror one day and I went, whoa, wait a minute. I see some things positive that are happening. And then all of a sudden, I didn't mind the pain so much anymore. Now, I want you to apply this, that, that little scenario to the Word of God. See, when I was, when I was, during that 90 days when I was weight training back then, um, at 19, um, there were things happening on a biological, molecular level that I couldn't see. Things were growing and developing that, I, that was not outwardly evident yet. But then there came a day when it started to be outwardly evident, and I went, wow, I think I like weight training. All of a sudden, just like, just like that, there was a switch. Now, apply this to the Word of God. You may not necessarily see the changes in your character dramatically in the first even 90 days. But once you start seeing how the Word of God starts to change your life from the inside out, is this making sense? You're going to start to love it. It'll, it might be a discipline at first, like my weight training was with my buddy. It might be a discipline at first, and you're like, I, I just have faith that if I just hang in there in my weight training, I'm going I'm to look like that guy. I was operating on faith that first 90 days. That's what you have to operate on where the Word of God is concerned. You may not necessarily see an outward change right away, right, when you start this discipline process, but... It, man, the Word of God is, folks, it's supernatural. Amen. It's supernatural. Uh, and I'm telling you, I, I had a, a couple come to me recently, not in this church, and had some questions about some of their life challenges. And you know what? Stuff started to just gush out of me. The Word of God just started to gush out of me. Stuff I didn't even know that I knew just started to gush out of me. Stuff that, scriptures I didn't even necessarily try to memorize, but they just started to gush out of me. Just like an hour and a half, two hour discussion, just the word of God just, just gushed out of me. Just, just, scriptures come to me like that. That's the, word of, that's the Holy Spirit bringing the word of God that I deposited in my heart to my memory when I needed it to help someone else. See, it's in there. It's in there. If you expose yourself to it, it's in there. It's going to transform your life. And then guess what's going to happen? As it begins to transform your life, it's going to have a spillover effect and transform other people's life too. Praise God. Praise God. Let me give you another scripture along these lines. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't act like the world around you. Don't let them depress you into their mold. That's what that means. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, some of you that, that got saved recently, you may not have necessarily felt that much difference 
The next Monday morning when you woke up, you were still, you know, probably bleary-eyed, and you looked in the mirror, and it's the same old you, and you, you felt tired from, you know, getting up early and not looking forward to going to work, maybe. I mean, th- those sorts of things may not have felt different, but that something did happen in your spirit very differently. You're transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But now it's up to you. See, God did something for you that you didn't have to work for. It's only by faith. But now the transformation process, you're going to have to cooperate with God with this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, once again, it all goes back to the word of God. All right? Uh, Write down these passages too. Psalm chapter 1. That's a very short verse, or a very short chapter, I should say. And James 1.25. Um, what time is it getting to be? Do I have time to read these? Yeah, I have time. We're just going to just eat the word this morning. All right. Um, turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Is this okay? It's a little bit different than how I usually teach. Let's read this together. Psalm chapter 1. I'm reading from the NIV, 1984 NIV. A little bit different than maybe some of your versions, but it all basically says the same thing. Okay, here we go. Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, you're not listening to to the advice of all your ungodly friends. Let me stop right there. Can I say something to you married people? If if your husband or your wife is not acting right, for Pete's sake, don't go to your ungodly friends and listen to your ungodly friends say, well, you shouldn't let him do this, right? You need to tell him. That's about the worst thing you can do when you're having problems in your marriage is go get the advice of some of your ungodly friends. Don't do that. Okay, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. This is all blessed stuff, isn't it? Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Praise God. Turn all the way over toward the back of your Bible in the book of James. We're going to read James 1.25. Actually... I'm going to give you some context. Let's back up a little bit. Um, Let's start in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently in the to the perfect law that gives freedom. It's talking about the scriptures. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There is a transformative power that the word of God has on your life. You ignore it to your peril. Amen. 
Even you Christians that are truly in the Word of God, you ignore the Word of God or minimize it to your peril. It's been the most transformative thing in my life. Praise God. So on that note, um, I want you to, to learn the secret right here. This is a, yet another principle, just a very practical tip of walking in holiness. The next one is this. Put a guard on the gate of your heart. Put a guard on the gate of your heart. All right, let me give you, again, some scripture here. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, that's the New American Standard Version there. Let me give that to you in the New Living Translation, which is a little bit of a simpler English, uh, a little bit more clear. And by the way, you, you two people that got new Bibles today, I gave you the New Living Translation. It's not what I read from on, on Sunday morning, but it's a very clear translation. Um, and it, it renders it like this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart, what you put into your mind and, and heart and emotions through the eye gate, what you watch, look at, read, the ear gate, what you listen to, is going to determine the course of your life. You will become like what you meditate on most of the time. Let me say that again. You will become like that which you meditate on most of the time. There's a principle of psychology called neuro-linguistic programming. You don't have to remember that term. But here's what neuro-linguistic programming means. It means that whatever... You, you set your mind on, um, if you will do the thing that, that you know to do, even when you don't feel like doing it, then your feelings will eventually follow and it will become much more motivating to you. But the opposite is also true. If you, um, if you focus on something and you, you meditate on something, eventually the body demands that you act it out. And that can work both for you and against you. See, if you feed on the word of God, your body, because it's so, put in, it's so permeated your mind, your body will eventually act out what you've been reading and meditating on. But if you fill your mind full of junk all the time, the world's trash, the world's trash music and trash TV, guess what? You may think, well, you know, this is okay. I'm just, I'm not agreeing with their lifestyle. I'm just entertaining myself. I think, think, think it's funny. What's that one slimy sitcom, two, uh, two Men and a Boy? What is it? Two Men and a Boy or something like that? Huh? Two and a Half Men. And a half men. Do you watch that show regularly, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> two and a Half Men. Um, I have had the opportunity to catch about 15 seconds of that show, Channel Flipping, I'm like, oh my gosh. Do people really watch this trash? See, you can take on that attitude, well, it's just entertainment. I don't agree with their lifestyle. I just, you know, I just think it's funny, I'm gonna watch it. Well, guess what? Neuro-linguistic programming demands that what you continually um, expose your mind to, your body will eventually demand that you act it out. That's why it's so important for you to guard your heart with all diligence, for it determines the course of your life. 
So important what you put into your mind because what you put into your mind, listen, what you put into your mind will determine your thoughts. What you put into your mind will determine and dictate your thoughts. See, when evil desire is conceived, it gives birth. Listen to what I'm saying. When, when evil desire is conceived, it's eventually going to give birth. Now, I'm just quoting from the scriptures. That's James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Are we, we're in James already. You want to read that together? We're right there in James 1 already. Let's just read it. Uh, when tempted, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, but listen to this. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, fill in the blank in your area of sin. And I want to just like level the playing field here this morning because some people when they think of sin they think of the big gross socially unacceptable sins or at least unacceptable socially unacceptable in the church anyway they'll think of you know they'll think of extortion and murder and rape and maybe sexual immorality and things of that nature but you know what listen um, did you know that there's several places in the bible that list like several sins together but you know that gossip is actually one sin that's listed alongside some pretty heinous stuff. Did you know that, that being disobedient and, and dishonorable to your parents is listed alongside some of the most heinous sins in the, in the Bible? Did you know that? So let, just let, forget the big heinous stuff that we tend to congratulate ourselves that I don't do that, so I must be pretty good. But God's looking at your heart. What are your attitudes? What's coming out of your mouth? Jesus said that the things that come out of your mouth defile you. Okay? So when evil desire is conceived, it gives birth. And it gives birth eventually to what? Sin. So I'm almost done, but on that note, I want to give you a little progression here. This is not in your notes, but I want to give you a progression. This is kind of how the progression goes. When, when evil desire is conceived, it's going to give birth to something at some point. So... You're familiar, all, you all, with the process of sowing and reaping, right? Okay? You sow something, and eventually you're going to reap it back. You sow judgment, eventually you're going to reap judgment back. You sow kindness, eventually you're going to reap kindness back. You sow money to the kingdom of God, eventually that money comes back to you. The Bible teaches us. Sowing and reaping. It can work for you or against you. So this is how the process goes. Sow a thought... Reap and act. Sow a thought, reap and act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Come on. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Hmm. Hmm. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. Uh oh. It's coming off the rails, isn't it? And so a destiny reap an eternity. 
That's why the Bible teaches us to guard your heart, for out of it is the wellspring of life. For out of it, it determines your destiny. Guard your heart. It is not a little thing, ladies and gentlemen, for you to be feeding on the world's trash. That's not a little thing. That seriously could infect your spirituality so badly that there is the possibility that you never reach the destiny that God had in mind for you on this earth. See, the Bible teaches us that if you want to be used of God, you've got to present yourself as a vessel of, for honorable use. That means ridding ourselves of the things that are dishonorable in our lives, that dishonor God, so he can really begin to use us. But there's also another possibility, and that's the possibility of our consciences getting so seared after a while. Again, I'm quoting the Bible, that sometimes people's consciences get seared as with a hot iron. What's that mean? That means you, you go so far, you cross a line where you, just, you continue to stiff arm the Holy Spirit, you continue to stiff arm Jesus, and the, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Don't, don't say that. Don't, don't go there. But you're like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to do my own thing. I'm gonna, you know, so Holy Spirit, you stay over there in, in, a, in a corner today because I really want to do my thing. And you do that often enough. And eventually your conscience gets seared as with a hot iron, you can't even feel any conviction of the Holy Spirit any longer. So I want to tell you something. If you can sit through, if you as a Christian can sit through a full episode of Three and a Half Men and sit there and take in the world's garbage and not even squirm, you're in very dangerous territory. That's very dangerous territory. Your conscience has become seared. And there may be, there, there probably is a sign that some repentance needs to happen. You come back to your first love. I've told you this many times, but, you know, when I got saved, you know, I cut myself off from all, all of my old ungodly friends, cut myself off from all the ungodly music and the TV that I was watching. And then several years passed, and um, I was flipping the channels one day, and which I don't even do anymore because, I mean, 99.99% of the stuff on TV is trash. So I don't even really watch network TV at all anymore. Most of what I watch now is, is Andy Griffith and maybe a little bit of YouTube. Uh, anyway, so one day I was flipping the channels and I came across this, this, this uh, sitcom Cheers. And I didn't remember at that moment that Cheers had all the stuff that it had in it. And so I thought, oh, I used to love Cheers. So I started to watch Cheers for a few minutes. And I'm, I'm like... Oh, okay, I didn't remember all that stuff. You know, I, I, okay, fine, I can't watch Cheers. I will not watch it. It offended me. It, off it didn't offend me back then, but now that I'm in Christ, Cheers offended me. It offended the Jesus in me. Right? So, so there ought to be some sensitivity. If you're in Christ, there ought to be some sensitivity to certain things where the Holy Spirit says, that's not for you anymore. Right? All right, praise God. 
this helping anybody this morning? So this is how we begin walking in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're not done. We're going to continue. uh, I mean, we are done today, but (laughs) uh, we're we're going to continue going through um, more principles to help you to walk in holiness and purity and in the likeness of his resurrection. So I'm probably going to do a little bit more verse by verse teaching. I think I'm going to go through Romans chapter seven and part of Romans chapter eight in the subsequent teachings, because is that... The Romans has a lot to say about walking in holiness. So be holy, for I am holy. Not a suggestion, but a command to all of us. Stand and let's pray, please. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.